Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Hey, welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where every perceived setback is really a step forward. Like a tree losing its leaves this year to nourish next year's growth. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft a business you're proud of and a life of impact and freedom that you love. As we count down the final month of the year, this is always a time when I like to pause and reflect. One, it's a really good time to think about where we were this time last year and the progress that we've made. And I think that's super important because as founders, one, we don't do it that often. And two, most leaders I know are their own worst critics. We give credit to others for the good things and we internalize the losses. But what would it look like if this year we went deeper? This reflection is more than just a casual glance in the rearview mirror. It's about taking a deep dive into all the experiences that have shaped our journey over the past year. I'll share a little framework that we walk our clients through, and this is kind of a condensed version, so see how it fits for you. First, we want to count the change. Celebrating our wins is crucial. These victories, big or small, are not just achievements. They're proof of our capabilities, our drive, and our potential. They fuel our confidence and stoke the fire for future endeavors. But it's not just about the win itself. It's about understanding the how and the why. What strategies work? What strengths do we have? And which ones did we leverage? Acknowledging these factors helps ensure that our future efforts are not just wild shots in the dark, but well-aimed arrows that hit the mark every time. So reflect and take a minute to enjoy the growth. Pat yourself on the back. I mean, it may feel weird to, to celebrate those, but it's healthy. It primes the mind for the next challenge and the next victory. And as you do this, I'm sure your inner critic is reminding you about what didn't go as planned. Yeah, you know, someone said the other day, as it was not reminding, it's raging. And maybe dial that back a little bit. But number two is we do want to learn from losses, the missteps, the near misses. They're invaluable lessons, not just setbacks, but what can they teach us? Maybe it's about refining our approach, improving processes, or perhaps a lesson in resilience. The goal isn't to brood over these moments, but to use them as stepping stones as we dissect the experiences, we find ways to work not just harder, but smarter. Number three is to uplevel yourself and your team. We want to convert that thinking and reflection into actionable insights. It's about setting smarter goals, building on our strengths, and shoring up our weaknesses. And often that means letting go of things or hiring someone strong where you're weaker and working smarter. It's not just about entering a new year. And not just being hopeful, but prepared and armed with a wisdom gleaned from the year gone by. I was talking with my coach a few weeks back and he said, you know, if it's really hard, maybe you're doing it wrong. And we worked on a few things together and that shifted my perspective. And crazy enough, I found a few areas where I was absolutely doing it wrong. And that was why it was so freaking hard. And a few small changes and wow, it was instantly easier. And what had been all stopped up, finally we had flow again. So in both your wins and losses, there are lessons. Look for those. 
use them to genuinely learn and grow so that as we finish this year strong, let's do it with gratitude and fresh insight, ready to step into the next chapter wiser, stronger, and more capable. So here's to a year of learning, growth, and smarter work ahead. Our expert guest last week was Mark Donegan, virtual CMO. Mark turns visionary products into market leaders, and we talked about category design, what is working in marketing now, and what will be in 2024. You know, things have changed a lot over the last year, and Mark really has his pulse on the finger of the market. And our founder last Tuesday was Andrew Swiler, CEO of Lanteria and strategic maestro in the HR tech world. Andrew is transforming HRMS with his visionary leadership and innovating employee engagement solutions. If you missed either of those episodes, go back and give them a listen. Did you hear that fish? That was pretty cool. My guest today is someone you may probably follow on LinkedIn, and if not, you should. Adam Robinson is the founder and CEO of retention.com. I mean, is there a better name for a SaaS company than that? That's awesome. Most of the traffic to your site is invisible and retention.com makes them visible. They did it in a huge way for e-commerce and now what they're doing in B2B SaaS is revolutionary. He's a guy that has built in public, Bootstrap, which of course I love, to 20 million ARR. Welcome an awesome guy and incredible founder, Adam Robinson. Hey Adam, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited, Joe. Well, tell me a little bit about the story behind retention.com. I mean, it is a total game changer for direct to consumer brands. I mean, how'd you come up with that? So it's actually my second SaaS startup. Um, my first one, I actually, my first SaaS startup was my second career. I had a first career as a, a credit default swap trader. I worked at Lehman Brothers, the now okay. investment bank. Uh, I did that for nine years and, um, it was great. I, I actually saved a ton of money, which allowed me to bootstrap my first company as a totally inexperienced founder, which was just so painful and expensive. I can't even describe how hard it is. I mean, you know, but like a lot of people yeah. don't know, right? Like, uh, I think it's different if you're an engineer or you're a product person or you're in sales to like sort of team up with some co-founders and go for some opportunity. If you're coming from something totally unrelated to any part of starting a startup, good luck. I mean, it's just it's you know, lessons there. Yeah. Like, like I just remember this, this model we made for my first company, like we had modeled out that we were going to acquire 800 customers in the first month. <laughs> right. Like, it, and like we had 800 customers in the first year, <laughs> you know, like, and, and that's kind of like one of the things that I tell people, it's like, if like you need enough dry powder to make it 10 times longer than you expect, because like, it's yeah. not the rule of the house or whatever, that's going to be two or three times. It will be like, if this is your first rodeo, it will be 10 times longer than you expect. And the outcome will likely be one tenth of what you expect or less. Yeah. So if you're still comfortable with those two like uh, governing ideas, and by the way, like I hope it's sooner, but like my experience and by observing people, it's like, it's not right. Like when you, right, right. when most people really start seeing this, this, this parabolic growth, it's literally after 10 years and 10 years seems to be around the time that it starts happening for most people. 
<laughs> and I just maybe think we figure some things out actually, in that amount of time. You actually get good at the game, right? Like, yeah, I, I know what I'm good at now, and I am like so much better at what I'm good at than ten years ago when I was just trying anything desperately. You know, it's just like. Yeah. The first version of the first product I built was way too much. It was terrible. Like we copied somebody else, like all of these things I would literally never do today. Um, you know, but you got to start somewhere, right? <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, I had always wanted to be a tech entrepreneur for two reasons. One, um, I had this great mentor at Lehman Brothers who told me, you know, kind of like, the crisis happened and everybody kind of got the wind knocked out of their sails. And it was very clear that the job that I had was like, maybe not going away, but like it was going to be a rapidly shrinking environment for like the next several years, regulationally. Sure. that, which sucks by the way, like being in growth environments is amazing, right? Like that's why you want to be attached to a rocket ship startup because like the opportunity that will be given to you if you excel in that environment is unbelievable. The opposite is true with shrinking environments. It's miserable. Everyone's getting fired yeah. and you're getting paid less. Like you're trying to figure out how to survive rather than thrive. It just sucks. Like, so um, my first roommates in New York started Vimeo in the apartment that I was living in them with this video sharing website. That's now a public. Very company. cool. Yeah. We yeah use so it. I like watched that and you know, I, I, I wanted to do that. I wanted to start, I was actually still, this is this like big loft in Tribeca and I just stayed living there because it was such a cool place. Um, I wanted to start a startup in that apartment. <laughs> like that was what I want to do. And this mentor at Lehman told me, he's like, look, this skill set you had from the last 10 years, it's not going to help you. Like we're all going to work till we're like a hundred probably. Like, the, the, you know, the idea of retirement is just weird. Like, I mean, we're evolving past that. We're going to live longer or whatever. Um, you know, think about the skill set for your next 60 years or 70 years rather than the last 10. And there, it was just no question to me that learning how to operate in the Internet was the answer. But there wasn't it wasn't even there wasn't even a close second right it was like yeah the skill set of the next just sort of jeff bezos were in inning one like and, you know but but like what do you, you know what do you do right <laughs> well, i mean literally that's the hardest question it's like it's like uh, i think it's analogous and i'm sure there's not many artists listening to this but there's this amazing book that this incredible music producer called rick rubin wrote called the creative act you should read it. There are a lot of similarities between creating art and creating businesses. They're both creative. Yeah. And I think the more sophisticated the work of art becomes, the more it actually looks like a company. Like erecting a beautiful skyscraper in Manhattan probably looks a lot like a startup. I don't know. It might. It, it, it looks a lot like a company to some effect. But like, sure. you know, you, you painting by numbers does not. But like, uh, this book's amazing. And when you're sitting there with infinite opportunity in front of you, choosing the direction to go in is literally the hardest part, in my opinion. Like, yeah. what advice would I give someone leaving finance today? So I left finance when I was like 30. I'm now 43. I don't know. What, what would I tell a 30-year-old to do? <laughs> who is like, I'm sick of finance. I want to get into tech. I, I have no idea. Uh, 
I would say I would say something totally different than I did probably. I would say try to become a master at the craft of sales or product. Maybe not engineering. I don't know. I just think engineering. Maybe if you're very inclined to like code or whatever, learn how to manage engineers or something like that. Uh, but getting an expertise in those subject matters is like so important in progressing on the journey. And it like sort of exposes you to the, to the to maybe the reasons why different products work or companies work or whatever. Um, but man, I mean, just starting from zero, it's just, it's just so hard. The lessons are so expensive. Like, it's like, you want to learn the lessons on someone right. else's done. I think if you can, <laughs> right. Like, yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah. Um, anyway, I quit finance. I had this other pseudo mentor that I, while he had his finance job, he like had these like five or six investments that he was always managing and his life looked really cool. And like one of them worked 20 years ago. So everybody thought he was like, you know, incredibly sold his hog farm for $10 million on the side or whatever. Uh, and you know, I was like, I'm going to do that as a 30 year old who knew nothing about anything. Like it's so weird to say this, but like trading corporate bonds and derivatives has literally nothing to do with that. There is, there is, there is no education that you get about business from that, but you think you have it, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's just not that it's like, it's like you're, you're looking to like buy something cheap and sell it higher when like people are either scared or greedy or whatever. It's like, in like, you kind of need to un understand, you think you understand the fundamentals of these businesses, but you don't, you know, it's like, it's just so, so different. But I thought I could do this because this guy was like doing it. And then, you know, I, I, I like kind of invested a lot of money in some stuff. And like, I started some companies with some people who also had no idea what they're doing, because who would start something with me if they did? No one, <laughs> which is another problem, right? Like I have friends that I have a friend who left finance, and he had this idea to like, make this, he was an investor. And he's like, I want to make this portfolio, which like looks back on successful research analysts and takes their picks going forward, if that makes sense. So it's like, who made the best calls? We're going to use their picks. And he's like, you know, I was like, well, talk to my CTO who like went to Stanford and, you know, was an all American swimmer also just as like a type of person that like, he's the reason that I am successful at this, right? Like, sure. and, and he gets off the phone and he's like, how do I find a guy like that? And I'm like, you can't. <laughs> Because he's working with people like me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, it's just, it's just impossible. It's like, he's like, well, how did you build your first site? I'm like, well, I got it built in India and it was a complete disaster. But, you know, <laughs> but like, yeah. I don't, but like, how, how else do you, you know, so, and I think getting a job before and building some credibility within whatever space, like it would, it would make it easier for you to partner with someone who was a great tech person, for example, or vice versa, right? Like, um, yeah, there's all sorts of problems of the first time entrepreneur that are like borderline insurmountable. That it's like, like Jason Lemkin has this, maybe it's, I think it's Lemkin. It's like zero to one, impossible. One to five, like improbable. Five to 10, right. whatever. And then 10 to a hundred, inevitable, right? Like, right, right. Um, 
yeah it, it's and, and i uh, that's like like you look at what people have to overcome to start and sass is so hard too because like in most cases I have observed when you start a SaaS, you just have to like sell it in the beginning to whoever's willing to pay you. <laughs> you have all these hypotheses about like who the IC ideal customer profile is. And like, you want to like charge more or whatever, but like at the end of the day, my observation is most people start with a very low price and then they work their way up market as they like figure out their ideal customer profile and who they can provide a lot of value yeah. to. And they, 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 their brand gets better, right? Like all, all sorts of things happen that allow them to move up market. And then you kind of have to move up market if you want to grow the value of your business for a lot of reasons, right? Like the churn's lower, the it's just easy in some ways easier to sell somebody paying you $50,000 a year than $500 a year. Like it's, there's a lot of reasons. Um, so, uh, you start there, but like paying people salaries when you're collecting $9 per subscriber, it's impossible, right? Like, I mean, yeah. how, like how, hard how place you, to be. Yeah. It's like, it's like sad. And that's what ma I think makes SaaS so hard. And, you know, when I started like back in 2014, some of the great SaaS companies, they started from agencies that were like paying the bills and then they had built this tech for their agency like mailchimp is a great example right mailchimp started as a web dev agency and they built this mail sending tool for one of their customers and then people wanted it and they like for a year or two they kept the agency running to like fund growing this smb SaaS tool to where they could actually you know support their own lives with it but like yeah, it's just, it's hard. You know, it's, it's maybe, it's maybe not as hard as Elon Musk sending people to Mars at the same time that he's like, you know, revolutionizing the, the car industry or whatever, but right. like, it's much more difficult than like running a little consulting business. Like my wife has a PR firm where she has five to 10 clients at a time and she does PR for them and she's got a few employees and it's like an agency business. Like that's like, if I were giving someone another type of advice, I would say, start there. <laughs> you know, it's like, get a job first, get some skills, then figure out how to run a consulting business where, you know, you're collecting money from people and you're like delivering a good product to them and, and driving value. And then it's like, if you want to bite off the SaaS thing, go for it. But man, it's not an easy game. <laughs> There's so much working against you, you know? Sure. <clears throat> So how did you develop the skills? I mean, you said, you know, you saw that there's a, a skill that you needed. How did you develop that? Or did you find other people around you to build a team with or both? So originally, man, I got really lucky with my CTO. He, he, after the, the India fiasco, this guy, my brother actually went to Stanford also, and he swam with this guy, Tate Blanick, who's been my partner for 20, for 13 years and all this stuff. And, um, you know, Tate, Tate like was working for this insurance company, like hated working for the man. And he just like wanted some job where he could make a couple hundred grand a year and not report to anybody. <laughs> and so <laughs> pretty he, sweet deal. He stepped, in, he stepped in, he saw this like rat's nest that this Indian dev shop had made us and was just like, I'm starting over. And, um, that's how I found not, him. Not what you want to hear as a founder though. It's devastating, you know, 
Yeah. At the time, it's devastating, right? Like probably the right like move. I, I, I say this. Yeah, it's just it was the right move for sure. I mean, yeah. the, the right move would have been to never do the anything. You know, it's like <laughs> but but yeah. like I, I say today, it's like if I were looking at the same opportunity as my first startup today, there is absolutely no way I would pursue it. Knowing what I know now, right? Like I kind of have a, a over. So like that was a product where we were basically picking up breadcrumbs. It was in the email newsletter space. So Constant Contact was mm. the first email newsletter app to very small business. They were selling to Main Street, basically. MailChimp came along and crushed them with this like big freemium plan that they had. But um, we were like, we figured out this way to like pick up breadcrumbs off of this massive table they had. And <clears throat> the problem is like, you know, you can do that, but it topped out at a few million in revenue. And it, it was just, the space was like incredibly difficult to grow because it was hyper competitive. And there were these, like MailChimp had this incredible offer. It was free for everybody. And they were spending $500 million a year promoting this free product. Like I, still to this day, it's like, I don't know how I would have ever competed with that. I think two people did an okay job. Clavio did an unbelievable job just owning Shopify. They were just like, we are going to be so much better than MailChimp for Shopify. We're going to charge double. <clears throat> and now they're worth $10 billion. Incredible yeah. execution. Uh, because the game had already been won by MailChimp and Clavio came along and won it again. So I'm not saying it's impossible. It's just I, I wasn't I wasn't able to do it. Uh, and then, you know, Nathan Barry got to like, See, Clavio's at 550 million in revenue. This guy, Nathan Barry, got he's at like 37 or 38 million going after bloggers, but he's bootstrapped, just different different approach. Anyway, um, it was a really hard space. And like I just so you asked me how I got skills. Like I had this, <clears throat> it was kind of like I had this lifestyle business that was fine, it was paying my salary or whatever, but like you know, we were maybe dropping like half a percent of our users per month, but like with upgrades, it was like kind of growing a little bit. So like over the, we like got to a certain point and then we like dropped 20% of our customers, but we, you know, raised our revenue by 25%. But like, I'm sitting there looking at it and I'm like, this is not like, this isn't going to be, you know what I mean? This, this isn't a retirement plan. Like I can't be, you know, I need to do something else. And I just like the, the desire to figure out how to grow this business and like failed experiment after failed experiment kind of got me there, you know? And like, eventually that led me to the, to the company I'm working on now because no matter what I tried, it wouldn't work. Like literally like MailChimp had bid up every single possible channel to acquire customers through, you know, sure. Shopify, like anything that you would, anything you would like go to an agency and say, help me get customers. Like they had maxed it out. And, uh, this thing, like I, I thought with this current company, I thought I figured out something that MailChimp wasn't doing, which was like on website identity. Somebody could hit the site, not fill out a form, and we get an email address. And I was like, oh, that's super valuable. And they're never going to do it because they're never going to be in the business of selling data. It's somewhat gray area. They have a super clean image. This is perfect. So 
it started as a feature in my last company. And then people were using the identity feature, downloading the file, and then like uploading it into Clavio or whatever and saying it was awesome, which is a really interesting, interesting, interesting sign, product, early product market fit sign, you know? Yes. And so my original plan was I was going to use it to grow my email marketing app, which was like way behind the market in terms of features and like whatever else. But it became clear that it was much better if I just spun it out and connected it to everything than if I left it in that app. And then like it was, you know, so like there were so many moments of, <clears throat> wow, look at the progress I've made as an entrepreneur in that whole process. Like, what? but mind you, I did three huge experiments leading up to this that were all massive failures, like trying to do big things to like strategically to like grow that I spent a lot of money on, spent a lot of time on, just didn't work. But like this one, you know, sort of did. And, you know, there was this thing that was paying all the bills, this like company that had, I don't know, at that time, maybe we had 10 employees or something like that because we built a dev team because I, in, in overseas. And then, uh, I was able to basically mock up this UI that I got done on Upwork and that took, you know, six weeks or whatever. And then I gave Tate HTML, the CTO, and he had something working eight weeks later <laughs> and wow. we ran ads to that. And then after the first month of ads, we spent $5,000 on ads and got $10,000 of monthly recurring revenue. So it was like, Oh, like, like if I would have spent $5,000 on ads for the email app, I wouldn't have gotten $500. No way I would have even gotten $500 of MRR, you know? So I was like, okay, like this is another validating sign. Like let's figure out how to get rid of the first business, you know, get the team on working on this one and, you know, focus on it. So that was like the whole genesis of this, where I am now. And I'm about to kind of do it again. Like we, we so we sell to, primarily big Shopify stores right now, this identity product. It helps them grow their okay. email list. It helps them, you know, with abandonment emails or whatever. And then, so like that business, it's 22 million ARR after four years, 25% EBITDA margin. It's really nice business, team of 55 or whatever. Um, it'll probably grow, you know, 25 to 50% next year, depending on we just need to go up market and like, depending on how well we can do that, it will determine, how, we need to ratchet down I mean, the story of every SaaS. We need to ratchet down on churn and go up market. And like, that's, I'm right. sure that's going to be the story next year too. Right. Um, but I'm doing what I did with this, with the last company currently, we're, we're creating a product for B2B SaaS companies that does the same thing. So people hit, a B2B SaaS company's website. And instead of getting an email address, we get a LinkedIn URL and full business profile for like 40% of people's US visitors and a page view history. So that, I mean, you could just do all sorts of cool, you start sales workflows or marketing workflows or whatever based on that. Uh, and yeah, but it's, it's going to be the same merry-go-round all over again, but like a totally different, go to market strategy. And, you know, uh, you know, I think it's got like 10 times more going for it than that company did when we, when we started it, just 
you know, I have this big megaphone on LinkedIn now and like, uh, you know, it's, it's just, I understand what it's like to have a B2B SaaS company at a bunch of different stages. So I can really articulate the value to different types of people, which is helpful. And like, I know SaaS companies have a lot better margin and leads are worth a lot more than they are to e-commerce companies. So like, Sure. I'm like super pumped about this. We're doing we're doing a freemium play, which I've always wanted to do ever since I just watched Mailchimp eviscerate that email marketing market. Um, so yeah, it, and I'm going to do it like wildly in public. Like I'm I'm creating right now this Circle.so community site where literally cool. like, like I've done a lot in public on this one. I'm going to literally yeah. do everything. I'm going to like post my bare metrics on this business entirely every single thing that we're doing go to market i'm gonna like run it as an experiment in this community you know thing that we're doing um yeah i just think this stuff's fascinating that we're talking about so like i want to share people ask me all the time it's like nobody bootstraps a company to 22 millionaire how did you do it and like the perfect answer is like i'm doing it again literally right now just Don't go watch. in there and watch it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, like I can't possibly explain to you how I did it, but like I'm doing it again now. So check it out. Do you already have a plan to make 2024 your best year ever? Well, want to create one alongside other B2B SaaS founders? That's pretty cool. Champion Leadership Group, we take our clients to an awesome strategic planning process every December. And this year we're opening that up and this is your invite. So this Thursday and also next Tuesday, we will lay down train tracks for all of next year. So you can just plow full speed ahead and I'll also give you a process you can use with your own team to get everyone aligned and all pulling in the same direction. And it's pretty stellar results too. When I first started doing this, it was a total game changer for me and my companies. And, and we call it your best year ever. It's free for you. You're listening or watching. So check it out at the events tab at championleadership.com. You can learn more about that and how we help B2B SaaS founders build amazing companies and achieve premium exits. Yeah, if that's what they want. We're going to take on another 12 companies in our accelerator in January. So if that sounds interesting to you, reach out. But come hang out for this and start the year like you never have before. Make 2024 your best year ever. Check it out, championleadership.com. You know, I uh, love that. Yeah, I don't have an e-commerce store, but uh, you know, when I first looked at retention.com, I looked at it and it's like the real play for this is I want this in my SaaS because yes. the the whole marketing <laughs> pitch, it, it's just like that is exactly what I want. I mean, yeah. visitors are anonymous. Yes, they are. Yeah. How do we find them without you know getting the getting the fill out forms because they don't want to fill out forms? Well, and half the time the information is not great anyway. If you want to be a guinea pig. I got a free version right now where you put a script <laughs> on your site and it'll email you a file of, you know, the people that are on it. And then pretty soon, I think sometime next week, we're going to have like our, 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 I guess you could call it, it's probably pre beta right now. We're going to have like the beta version next week. That's a little more elegant and, you know, works better or whatever. That's fantastic. I'm in. And uh, anybody listening right now, if you have a SaaS, and, and you probably do, because that's SaaS fuel, right? <laughs> if you don't, if you don't, <laughs> if you don't why are you here? I'm in other places. A yeah. <laughs> uh, little hint, you, you need to download this and, and get on this bandwagon too, because this is uh, an, an incredible tool. I think it's got a huge, it, huge opportunity. It works. I mean, my biggest struggle with it is you know, you, you kind of do a lot of different stuff to drive traffic when you get to where we are. 
at the at, at the business we sell the e-com, right? Like, I don't know how many uniques we get, but I'm getting like 150 to 200 leads per day. And like most of your traffic, it's just surprising that it's just not all people you would want to sell to. In fact, sure. it's hardly any people that you would want to sell to, <laughs> you know, but like, so like, Luckily, this problem has been solved, but like for people who have a substantial, I think there's like two different types of users. My buddy, Andy Muborn, he gets like 20 to 30 a day and he just loves opening the file, looking at who it is, and then just like manually hitting people. He's got a company that's just starting right now, right? So he's maybe got like 100 customers or whatever. So I think that's one person. It's like, there's a lot of value if you're at that stage, so just looking at it and then manually yes. hitting people. And then once you're at our stage, there's a filtering problem that we need to solve. Like we need to basically in a, what's so painful is like, you got to, if you're doing it manually, you got to go through 200 people, figure out who's not a customer, then figure out, okay, who's in my pipeline right now and who's net new, not in my pipeline at all. And then treat them in like four different ways. We're going to build stuff to automate all that. But like, that is, it's very clear to me that like, that's the, that's going to be the struggle for people at my stage. It's like, sure. okay, this is great. But like 95% of this is <laughs> how do I figure out as quickly as possible who the good stuff is? Um, right. So. And I think you're really automating the the smart piece of that. And that's the, the filtering and, and kind of segmenting and, and taking the, the communication and keeping that human. Yeah, uh, or giving giving options. Totally. I think you, human communication totally. and doing things that don't scale—that's that is the future because there's so much automation that is happening right now. I am making a large bet on that idea. I just think, yeah. Look, I love AI. I love generative generative AI. I think the promise of it is great, but like, man, the power of a talking head is incredible. You yes. know, like, <clears throat> and okay, deep fakes, like whatever. My view on this, and again, I could be com completely wrong, is that like, AI is incredible at creating more of what is already there. Yes. But the best art, which this is art, in my opinion, like what we are doing is like, we are doing it for some purpose, like we are creating media, you know, whatever. The best art has not yet been created. And AI is sort of nowhere with that, you know, like, because there's no yeah. basis for it. Um, maybe it'll get that good. I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying to make. So really what, <clears throat> like I said before, like, if you go through my LinkedIn, like, I, I made a reality TV show, which was really going way too far. It was expensive. I think it's a great product that this team created for me. And it took, it was just shocking how little of my actual time it took. But like, you can sort of chronicle this journey that I went on of going from, or I chronicled it. You know, we were like seven employees 14 months ago. We hired 50 people in 60 days. And then just got like whipsawed on this like euphoria in like, you know, oh shit, like the economy turned, we got the TAM wrong, like we got way too many salespeople, like shit, it was like, you know, this panic at the disco, you know, disillusionment yeah. dropped and then, you know, whatever, back to this period, this state of optimism we're in right now. I think that's too far, but like, 
even like I'm spending a lot of time on LinkedIn. I was before, but now it's like with the B2B SaaS community, it's like where they are. It's where these revenue leaders are, marketers and, and salespeople. And like, I look at this guy, Chris Walker's stuff, who you may or may not know who he is. He's, he's, sure. he's, he, he is the only example of someone who I see consistently put their face out there in tandem with these like big, heavy, super valuable posts. And that's powerful. It's like, you know, the like it's hard to look at someone talking about something intelligent over and over and over again and not start to have their status right. elevate in your mind, right? And like, I don't see anybody else doing that. And the reason I want to do it is because I fell in this guy's info info product funnel at one point uh, in a really funny way. But like, he was a guy who started big commerce. His name was Mitch Harper. And like, I bought his courses. And then I was like, Oh, this guy knows, knows what he's talking about. I like watched 10 courses. I, I watched 50 hours of this guy on video. And then I'm like, I need this guy as a one on one coach, because he knows what you know, he's, which like, whatever, like, <laughs> no one knows how to fix your problem, right? That's what I now know. Yeah. But like at that time, <laughs> you know, when you're stuck, it's like, I just felt like there were all of these people who were ahead of me knew they, they had, they had something in their brains that could get me unstuck. Um, so I'm like, man, this guy needs to be my one-on-one -on -one coach. I reach out to the guy, get a hold of him. I'm on a meeting with a guy kind of like this, but not a podcast. And like, I feel this is this, incredible sensation I had where I felt like I knew every single detail about this guy's life, where he vacationed, what his wife was like, who his friends are, you know, what he liked to do. And he was talking to me like I was a stranger, you know, mm. and it, it was this, this, like, I, I can't even describe this feeling. And I was like, Oh my God, like the day that I have the opportunity to harness this power. And it wasn't then. But like, I'm like, the day that I have the opportunity to harness this power, I am going to. So in my opinion, this is, man you know, it's manifested itself because like the perfect megaphone for this audience we're selling to is LinkedIn. Chris Walker has made this amazing playbook that no one has copied yet, where, I mean, he executes it a lot better than I do. But like these like kind of, you know, these big valuable posts about whatever, like the nerve, you know, it's like I'm talking about BDR and ABM or like whatever. And like, I just kind of... <laughs> I do a fake podcast. I like sit here and look at my notes here and it looks like I'm on a podcast or whatever and getting recorded by a camera over here. And it gets unbelievable engagement. It's, it's, it's deprioritized versus a regular post, but you know, for like 50% less the, of, of impressions, I think the value of this talking head thing is like, you know, you're creating this group of people who feel like they know you. And I have people tell me that all the time. It's so weird because yeah. like, I, I, I wasn't making content before a year ago. And like, you know, one out of every three calls I get on, people are like, man, I just like feel like I know you from your LinkedIn post. <laughs> That's cool. You know, nobody has the people I haven't spoken to before. So anyway, I'm a big believer that you, you can't like all of this becomes possible with time and prior success. No one would listen to me if 10 years ago when I had was just starting my first business. When I'm sitting here posting that my I bootstrapped my company to 22 million ARR and I'm showing the dashboard, I get people's attention, right? 
Sure. Which like allows me to like use this power in a bunch of other ways. But like, I think that if you can use this power that we're talking about, like it's gotta be the most efficient way to, to create a go-to-market engine. I, I don't understand any, I don't understand the argument against it because like cold, you know, it's like cold, cold, any outreach is just like, it's so everybody's doing it. It's like the AI thing made yeah. it to where it's way better. It's like, and, and like, this is, this is, this is an ARB that's left like cold email was five years ago. And it's an interesting ARB because not everybody can do it. You know, it's true. Like I have a LinkedIn coach. If he was writing the exact same words I were writing, <laughs> you know, like, because it's my, like, like I just am coming from a position now where it's, it's almost like my, introduction about myself commands a certain amount of respect. And look, I'm not the most successful guy in the world, but like there's a lot of people looking up to a guy who, who bootstrapped 22 million ARRs in four years. Yeah. I would have looked up to that guy. And, and that's kind of like who I write my content to. Like I, I remember how stuck I was for those three years at 3 million ARR. And if somebody were out there in my position now creating the type of content that I'm creating, I would read every, every single word of it. Everywhere. Absolutely. I would stalk myself on podcasts. I would listen to this. I would, listen to everyone. <laughs> I would try to get every word out, out of me that I possibly could, which is like kind of motivating my go to market. You know, it's, it's selfish too. I think it's the right way to do it, but it's like motivating me to share even more about this next journey, you know? <clears throat> it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think LinkedIn is a, a great platform. I wish they did more promotion of video. It seems like some of the the posts get more engagement than than video, sure. where some of the there other is, platforms no it's opposite. It. Yeah, yeah. It's it's strange but, that that's the, the that that is what they've decided, but yeah. um, I still think it's worth. For me, you know, that like this is the gamble that I'm making. I look at Chris Walker and like. Like I, I can just, I think back to this experience I had with this business coach and I'm like, this guy is doing this to like thousands of people, right? There are thousands yeah. of people, <laughs> senior marketers who just think he's a genius. I'm like, he's a smart guy, but like by him doing that, it is amplifying his strengths in their mind. Yes. Exponentially, yes. right? Like, um, yeah, unquantifiable, right? Like I want to write a yeah. book called you can't measure this and like on the title <laughs> and like just talk about all this like wild shit that i'm doing because it's like i have this gut feeling about it you know yeah <clears throat> well even you know the, you really committed to video doing billion dollar challenge in uh and you know, what sparked that and then you know what's the the future of it is that something that will continue or where do you see that going so definitely the the what originally sparked it was what I told you about. Like this idea that, yeah. you know, if you could give people media to consume about you, it, it would just have this power that like, you, you don't appreciate unless you're in a situation like I was in with that guy. Right. Like, um, and I was in a weird, like I read this book that I would highly recommend everybody read called founder brand it's by dave gerhardt he was the original like cmo of drift 
And it's just this perfectly laid out argument for why you should create personal brand if you're the founder of a company. And like the problem that I had with the argument, like, and I wrestled with this for a long time. I didn't really figure it out until like a year in. This issue that I had was we were selling to e-commerce stores, but I wasn't an e-commerce guy in any way. Like I'd never started a Shopify store. I know one thing about e-commerce, literally one thing. I know how to expand audiences that you reach over email. That, like, I don't know how to send, I don't know how to optimize the email for conversion. Like literally that is the one thing that I know. And like, there's only so much you can talk about that, you know? And then it's like, originally this guy that I was working with on LinkedIn, he's like, well, we could do 60% email marketing content like Chase Diamond and then 40% like kind of work in public, you know, about your own business. And then eventually I was like, I just don't, I feel like the only thing that I can credibly speak about is my own journey for this audience. Yeah. And, and like they connect to it. Like maybe they don't connect to it in the same way as some of the tactical stuff that comes out of e-com operators, but like they're entrepreneurs too, you know, like we're all dealing with the same shit. Like, yes. you know, got to yes. fire people, got to hire people got to make a better product, got to make your customers happy, got to get them talking about you, you know, whatever. It's the same basic game. Um, so then it's like, okay, <clears throat> I, I had really taken on an audacious goal, which was unreasonable, but like, it was kind of a sign of the times. Like it's, it's hard to even think back at what the end of last year was like, but it was like the last gasp of COVID euphoria. It, right. You know what I mean? It was like, it was still kind of happening. Like it hadn't really, I, I think April this year, it like slammed on the brakes and it was gone. But like, you know, sharing an office with these guys who started Jasper AI and they like went from zero to $1.5 billion valuation where they like took a bunch of secondary off in 14 months. It, it was bananas. And I'd been sharing an office with them two years prior and we were both stuck at the same spot. So, you know, I kind of watched that happen and I was like, maybe I should go for it too. Cause I was running this like really lean, really, you know, profitable, like bootstrapped company or whatever, which by the way, I still advocate for, but yeah. I deviated for a moment. Uh, thank God I didn't raise any money, but like, I was like, we're going to try to crush this thing and plow it all back in or whatever. So I got this operator to come on board and, um, you know, I thought we were, we had what, you know, I, I kind of misjudged the TAM a little bit that we were going after. And I was like, man, in this Shopify audience, there is a unicorn. Like, look at Clavio, you know, look at Yapo, look at Gorgeous, look at whatever. And we just went for it. And I thought that, uh, you know, creating media about the actual journey of doing that and like being in the middle of it all was compelling. You know, I haven't really distributed it well like because linkedin was kind of the way the, the place we started and it's yeah. it's i don't know it's not really contextualized for youtube very well like i had this other struggle yeah so it's like i can make a talking head video and it'll get watched for forty thousand minutes i make this incredible billion dollar challenge episode and it gets watched for <laughs> four thousand minutes right like and that's all contextualization for the platform you're on right so like yeah. i didn't really nail that but like there's two seasons of it i i, I think there are 
it's just a really honest look at like the good and bad of what it's like to like be in my position, you know, going through something like that. <clears throat> I'm going to make another season probably in a year once this B2B product plays out. But like it got to the point where we were just like the story was, you know, they'd be like, what's going on this week? I'm like, well, I mean, the same shit that was going the on same last, as last week. week. Yeah. It's like, it's like, I'm kind of <laughs> trying to ratchet down on churn, go up market. And then I'm trying to like push this B2B thing forward. It's like, that's what you're going to hear from me for the next six months, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> and then something will either happen or not. Right. Like, uh, so, so yeah, that's kind of the story of that. Um, you know, I've never really seen anything like it, which is why I was drawn to it. And sure. I think I just lucked out with this girl named Christy Ellington, who I got connected to, to make it. And she like, is really, really good at this. Like she just did a great job. So basically the format was, she interviewed me once a week on Monday morning. And then John, who's our full-time videographer now, he would travel with me when I went to trade shows or whatever. And then we do like one other shoot for like an hour every two weeks. So like not invasive at all. And then, you know, over the course of eight months, she would do, she would put together like eight different story arcs that weren't sequential, but they happened over that eight months. And then it right. like kind of fit fits nicely into this, into this narrative. And I think it's awesome. It's been, been a really interesting time in my life and it chronicled it all, you know? Um, and, and I think there's enough good media there that at some point somebody could build an audience for it on YouTube or whatever, if they wanted to, you know, chop it into shorts and go whatever. But like, it's just, you know, I don't know. That's the whole thing there. I wouldn't recommend doing it necessarily because it's just, I think the right team, it's like, even if you had the money to do it, it's like, you know, think five grand an episode for like a 10 minute show of that quality. Yeah. Even if you had the money to do it, um, getting the right team is just like, I, I just lucked out. I have no idea how to hire somebody to make a show about me. Right. Like, um, that's a hard thing to do. And to have that story arc, I mean, that's the the key, the whole I mean, to this the girl's amazing. She's amazing. Like, people watch this and they're just like, I, I don't, this is crazy how good this is relative to other business content, you know? Um, and it is. <laughs> I'm not just saying that because it's me. It's like, it's like so wild that like we have this media asset about this. Um, and we're certainly not using it the right way. But, um, but yeah, that's what that's all about, you know? And I'm, I'm trying to, you know, there's a saying that every company is a media company. I don't believe that, but I believe that we are, you know, like I look at what's happening yeah. on my LinkedIn. I look at the fact that we can create something like this billion dollar challenge thing. And I think that that, like when I think about like, what's the moat to our Shopify or to our e-com product, I think our moat is actually <laughs> creating a media brand that creates the perception that we are much larger than we are in where and that we're always doing cool stuff and like makes people you know sort of I, I think that legitimately is like the thing that you know some new some new entrance in doing what we're doing is not going to be able to do right right that i know that we can you know um so yeah the, the, the these are like the the non-ai bets that i'm making that are like literally impossible to measure at all um but like i think based on my experience, I like have these gut feelings that it's the right stuff to be doing, you know, and we can afford it, which is, you know, critical. It's like, yes, yes. If, if you need a certain amount of, you know, 
play money to be doing stuff like this. Um, you know, well, that's smart. And it's not something where you're, you're betting the entire company, you know, on this, this series oh, is yeah. going to go viral because <laughs> totally. you've seen that as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, big bets and, and they don't pay off and, and a good company disappears because, you know, something bad happened. Yeah. I mean, my philosophy on this stuff and I've done a bunch of, so like, we're kind of running out of time here, but like uh, I'll, the first, the smartest way I thought I ever used video was when I started, this company used to be called get emails. And I was like, okay, we're six people on our laptops. We don't have an office. And when I described to you a one sentence description of what we do, you immediately think this person's stealing my data. They're <laughs> sketchy, right? Like, it's just the nature of what we do. Right. So I'm like, right. how do I somehow humanize this? Because that's going to be the only way people would be comfortable doing it. Like if they see friendly looking people and like they, you build trust, right? There's, I, I was like right. through transparency, there's no other way I'm going to get people to like adopt this in mass. So I put, I tried to find this on the Wayback Machine a couple of days ago and I couldn't because they weren't picking up the nav. But on the nav, I had podcast as a link. And a lot of people's behavior on websites is they just click all the nav links. Like it's weird. Yeah. It's like that's that's the thing that people sometimes do. So if you click the nav link, it would bring up this YouTube playlist of me and my wife sitting in what was the Jasper office. They used to be called Proof. It was a badass office. They had this sick podcast set up that just looked super legit. And like their employees were like walking around in the background, right? So it looked like we were this like venture back startup, <laughs> right? Cool. Yeah. And like I just answered the sales objection questions one per episode that was like five minutes long. It had a music intro. I was like, all right. So everybody, you know, I had my wife asking me questions, right? It was like everybody's always asked, like, like, how is this legal? And then I'm like, do that. And this the next one's like, Second question everybody always asks, how does this work, right? So it was amazing because not only were people just like nurturing themselves down this funnel, answering the questions in advance that we knew that they would have, when people would email the questions in, they'd respond with one of these videos, the the, the salespeople would. That's you know? fantastic. So it's like, yeah. yeah, so it's just so powerful, you know? And like, this is the kind of stuff that I like want to write in this book. You can't measure this, <laughs> that I'm going to try to like document, like as much as I'm going to do something similar for this, like B2B thing. Uh, except instead of me and my wife is going to be like the podcast thing that everyone's used to seeing on my LinkedIn, like me talking to a fake person. And the, it's like question number one, the questions in B2B are a little different. It's like, well, how are you different than six cents in demand base? You know, like, uh, how the, how does this work is a big one. Um, and then, and then they're like, what about GDPR and CCPA? They all have that question. So sure. um, what about pricing? How does it work? Um, anyway. That's really good because they're taking themselves down the funnel and it's they're selling themselves. And that's what you want to build is that entire journey where they, they get to yes and they're like, where do I sign up? And there's no conversation. It's just like, I, I want this. How do I make it happen? Yeah. I mean, if you can do so like my this business that I'm working on now, it certainly doesn't look like this now. I mentioned we have 55 employees. We got it to 12 million ARR with six people. No marketing, right? It was just word of mouth. And then people coming in, selling themselves. And then when they were ready, booked a demo, 15 minute close, 
one salesperson for the first two and a half, three years. It was bananas. That's great. We could have probably gone faster, but like in the journey to 10 million ARR, we distributed $5 million to the founders. Nice. <laughs> Why? Because of that, exactly what you described. It's yeah. like we set up a bunch of systems that allowed people to do the work that people would have done otherwise. And this is what I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do on, on this one. It's like, I think getting to 10 in the most efficient way is like smart. And then once you get to 10, you're like, okay, what is this? Is this like a hundred millionaire? It's like the churn plays in a big factor, the sure. TAM or whatever. It's like, what is this company? Right. Is it like going to peter out at 25 or 30? In which case I'm going to just make it a cash machine. You know, does it have the potential to like, you know, is there high gross retention, high net revenue expansion? Can you really go for it? And I think it's a totally different deal. So, but I think in getting to 10 million, I would do it no other way than the most efficient way possible because then you get there and you'll probably have, if you want to do something like I did with retention.com, I spent $800,000 on a domain and then I had five or 600,000 a month of free cash flow to like go hire these people, get it all wrong and then like get it to the right spot again and like, yeah. you know, build the cash flow back. So like that is, that is the way I would do it. <laughs> and that's the way I'm going to do it again. Right. This, this B2B thing. It's like, I, yeah. I I'm going to try to get to 10 million ARR with like me and like two other people, you know? Um, I mean, we're, we're borrowing a lot of resources from the core company. So it's not, it's not that like, if it was, if the core company wasn't there, it would take more people, but like, sure. you know, um, anyway. What's well, a smart thing. Cause you get there and it gives you options. And instead exactly. of giving away so much equity, you know, pre-revenue or early stage, and because you, you can actually dictate terms, you can decide what you want to do. You can decide that, you know, we've got this free cash flow. We're going to grow it ourselves. Yeah. You know, there's I nothing think, wrong with bootstrapping. Yeah. I think um, it's a great thing. And look, we're in a time right now where profitability is like very in fashion. Even when it wasn't, I always looked at the situation and I was like, I see way more optionality of running, you know, EBITDA businesses, basically. Right. It's like the only thing that you're foregoing is getting the highest premium when you maybe sell, but probably not someday. Yeah. That's the only positive thing. The negative things you're foregoing is getting on that trajectory early right? This VC thing where you're inflated valuations, but they're taking preferred and they can crush you and all that stuff. Uh, and then you're on this treadmill. What if your business changes? You know, like, right. like what, what, what if you want to get off the treadmill? Like, uh, here's some news, like you cannot, right? So right. I think like accepting, I was good at this and I'm kind of the game that I was playing in the beginning was like, I don't really need to sell this. I like to make a lot of money in the present. I was luckily able wrong to with that. business for $10 million, but in my mind, I was playing for like 10 to 50. Now I think we've gotten good enough to where the team is playing in like a 200 to $500 million exit range, but we're still playing the make money now game, which is incredible right. because the make money now, if you're playing in the 200, like, like this business just started getting profitable again, it's growing at three to 4% per month and our expenses are shrinking. So like, 
this could be like a 10, $20 million EBITDA thing by the end of next year. Like it will right. definitely be 10. It might be 20. And that's insane. <laughs> you know, like, like <laughs> that's, that's like your, you can't lose if that happens. Even if something right. happens and the business goes away in three years. Fine. Right. Yeah. You, right? you, you win now and yeah. you may win later yeah. too. Yeah. So I just don't see that many people doing that in SaaS. And, uh, I want to evangelize that message too. You know, it's, yeah. it's possible. Um, you know, you, investors won't like it. <laughs> People won't like that you talk this way about it being possible, but um, it's possible. Yeah. I think we should re redefine unicorn. You know, it's a profitable yeah. SaaS company. And right. that's the thing to aspire to. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Fundamentals matter. They always have. For sure. For sure. Very good. Well, you started talking about skills and what's needed for the next 60 years. What do you see now? Is it changed, you know, over the last 10 years? You know, what are the, the right skills that people need to develop or, you know, has that changed for you uh, going forward? I hate to say it. I think you got to learn how to be an influencer. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I hate to say it. Like, I am not on social media in my personal life. I fought it for so long. Um, I'm just observing the power of it for me right now. Yeah. And it's immense. So it's November 28th. If you go look two LinkedIn posts ago, I have been sort of, if you want to call it agitating, I've been aggregating this audience of salespeople and, and, and marketing leaders by talking about my pain, trying to figure out BDR and they get unbelievable the post get unbelievable engagement because everybody is feeling the same pain. It's like, dude, absolutely, like, thing is not working like it was last year. My it worked a year ago and it stopped. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So um, I had a few times dropped this idea that we're going to have a B2B product. And then I finally, and then this was one week ago, I wrote a post about it. And the headline was, over the last two weeks, I've spoken with 25 plus founders, which is true. And marketers and sales leaders about six cents in demand based. Why? And it literally is an advertisement for what I'm about to launch in two weeks, straight up. It is nothing. It is, it is a hoard out post. That is all it talks about. There's 630 likes and 298 comments. The, That's the, awesome. All the action at the end of it was DM me if you want to, if you want to try it. I got over a hundred people saying, I want to try it. That is unbelievable. I'm not sure there's any other way to have started from there than this, if that makes sense. And yes, yes, yes audience salespeople on LinkedIn, you know, if you're not selling to salespeople, there's probably other ways to do it. But I'm sure no matter what your space is, there is an influencer in your space. Maybe they're not at the helm of a SaaS company, but observe what they're doing and see if you can figure out how to make some of that work for you. Because if you can, it's magical. I'm sure. So like there's these conferences, right? Like Saster and whatever. Like I, I haven't been, I actually did get invited to Lacus con conference to speak. It's like people pay for that. But like now yeah. I'm getting invited because like I will pretty soon, I'm going to be bringing audience to these, to these, you know, the, the, you know what I mean? It's like, that's what they want. They want the names who have the biggest voices to speak because they pull people. Right. So at some point, 
all of this stuff that you're spending so much money on trying to get access to, it all starts working for you. Yes. Yes. You know, it's the long play. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons that people don't do it is because it is long. It's not something that has instant gratification. And just like you said, how do you measure this? You don't, (laughs) you know, you just, you just, you just, you just keep doing it. Right. Like it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. But like, I think one of the most valuable things about running very profitable SaaS companies is it gives you the space to think about things like this and explore them, you know, um, which I think is like, it's controlling your own destiny is one thing that sort of mental health of like not having investors and bosses and all that stuff is great too. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you can do wild experiments like creating a docu-series about, <laughs> about yourself or whatever. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm up to a bunch of crazy stuff (laughs) and that's not changing. I'm just gonna like this, this net, I'm I'm just going to go harder in this direction on this next chapter, which I'm, I hope the listeners, uh, will appreciate and, uh, and engage with, right. Cause that's what it's for. It's, it's, you know, you can't possibly in no way, probably, I think like I've been working, doing a really strong work in public effort, for 12 months. And the biggest problem I found with it was there was no place you could go to get like deeper into our world. So, so this circle.so thing, it is that, right? It's like somebody could hear this, they could go directly there and they could just see, you know, everything that I'm talking about right now. Like, yeah. So where is the best place for people to engage with you online and learn more about retention.com and the new product as well? Yeah, right now it's just hit me on LinkedIn. Retention Adam. Yeah. Um retention.com is the website. Hopefully we'll have a landing page for this B2B thing and and by the end of this week. And like <laughs> it will ask you if you're a SaaS, if you're e-commerce or SaaS. So like that will be pretty soon a place to learn about the product. But um yeah, LinkedIn, email me at Adam at retention.com. Um, you know, I try to be responsive, but it's just hard. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. It's just hard. Uh, once I get this community thing going, I'm going to actually do like a, a weekly ask me anything office hours type situation because I also get a ton of people who just want to sort of bounce ideas off of me or whatever. You know, they come in and DMs. It's like, dude, these posts are killer. Like, this is what I got going on. Can we talk for just 30 minutes or whatever? But it's like, Okay. If I say yes, then I say yes to all, <laughs> like that's my right, entire right. life, right? Like that, that becomes, and I can't, you know, do that. So, uh, soon I will have a community area that will, you'll be able to locate from the B2B landing page that will, will have like a level of access that is not currently available, which I'm excited about. Outstanding. We'll make sure and link all of that in the show notes. Great. Adam, I really enjoyed our conversation today. Well, thanks. I enjoyed being here. Yeah. Thanks for being on SAS Fuel. Welcome. Thanks again, Adam, for coming on the show and sharing your journey and insights. Check out the show notes for a link to sign up for the beta of their new offering for B2B SaaS. You can learn more about Adam and retention.com, of course, at retention.com. And if you aren't following Adam on LinkedIn, why not? Go do that. He posts great information and it is fascinating to watch him build in public. Everything we talked about, all links, highlights, resources, full show notes, 
Everything you need is available at sassfuel.com. Episodes are even more fun on YouTube. Full shows, shorts, training, outtakes, fish jumping in the water maybe. So please subscribe and follow us there. And everyone who subscribes this week gets a personal growth progress bar. It's a digital frame. Maybe we'll put it over your head. Shows a visual representation of your personal development filling up as you achieve your goals. Hey, perfect for those visual motivators. Join us Thursday on our SAS Fuel Expert Series where my guest is Jason Kruger, founder and president of Signature Analytics. We'll be talking about data gaps, increasing productivity, boosting profits, and operating smarter in this new world of capital-efficient growth. And next Tuesday, we have Alex Boyd, founder of Aware and Revenue Zen. From a winding road of marketing, sales, and social media, Alex helps SaaS leaders carve a straightforward path to marketing assets and genuine relationships that pay huge dividends. So I will see you next time. Be sure to join us for your best year ever. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Let's go!